Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Style Guides podcast. I am Brad Frost. I'm Anna Debenham. And today we are delighted to have Mr. Josh Clark with us. Josh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm such big drool. I'm such a big drooling fan of you too. <laughs> <laughs> and I of you. So so anyway, so um, yeah, we're we're really excited to have you on the show. And for the uninitiated, do you want to just sort of give everybody an an idea of? who you are and sort of what your work revolves around as it, as it pertains to design systems? Sure. I run a design studio called Big Medium. Uh, and Brad, you and I have worked on a bunch of projects. But uh, my role in, in doing these projects, whether it's for the web or for mobile apps or connected devices, is to essentially look out for the overall product from a user experience point of view and interaction design. But also, you know, really making sure that the thing is meeting the goals that it's set out to do. So there's sort of some design strategy to it to make sure that there's real consensus for why we're building what we're building, uh, what it needs to do, and to make sure that the, each stage of the result is supporting those, those goals and, and the things that it needs to do, both for the, the company, the patron of the project, as well as for the, the people who will use it. Um, so, I, And I think that uh, you know, the stuff that you guys have been talking about and working on with design systems is super relevant to that. The interesting thing about that is, of course, the, the patron and the customer are often one and the same in that case. You're sort of designing yeah. it for designing something for the people who are also using it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that, that that sort of higher level thinking of, of sort of taking a step back and going, okay, you know, culturally, organizationally, here's why we need to be paying attention to this thing. Here are the, here are the problems we're trying to solve. Uh, I don't. I'd I'd wager a, a, a bet that a lot of pattern library style guide design system initiatives don't really take that stuff into into enough account. It's it's oftentimes I think born of the practitioners themselves. You know, you know, front end developers or a design team or something that are really jazzed up about this stuff. They're like, oh yeah, this makes a lot of sense, but like. I, in our own work, we've seen plenty of of uh, sort of a graveyard of of pattern libraries, <laughs> of failed <laughs> pattern libraries, and so so like, I could you like talk about like wh- why is that and like and sort of like why is this sort of I think this this really huge sort of political organizational cultural sort of part of of an initiative like this it, like why that's so important for for uh, design system success well you know i think it's a great question um the i think that one of the the real uh considerations here is you know who is this pattern library or design system for I, you know i mean in a in a sense i've got a pattern library and a design system for my own site but i hold it in my head because i'm the one who's who uses it, right? Who created it and consumed it. There's no other audience for it except for me. And so I'm content to hold it in my head and in a sort of a, a, a a system of, of files and references that is, 
<laughs> the organization of which is only understandable to me, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, and I think that as you slightly, as you start to scale that up to more and more people, that you know, effectively, most design projects and development projects wind up with uh, a pattern library of some kind, right? Here's the parts of the stuff that we use to make the thing. I think that a lot of times. Uh, you know, you need to refine those pattern libraries to meet the needs of a broader and broader audience, the more people that you want it to touch. And I think a lot of times, a lot of pattern libraries stop at the small team level and say, hey, we made some stuff, maybe you guys will find it useful. But implicit in using it is the adoption of a whole lot of new standards or tools or even design patterns. And it just doesn't make it easy enough to adopt, or it uses a technology that we would have to bend over backwards to to use and to incorporate into into your own project. Um, and so, you know, I think that that a lot of it is is you know really being clear about what you want this pattern library or design system to do for the larger organization, assuming you are designing it for a big organization, and making sure that it fits the specific workflow of people who are who are already there. Right? I think there's often a hope that I've seen when you're creating, um, trying to launch something like this into an organization, a design system or a pattern library, that you're going to really affect change with it. And I think that in some small ways, you can make change in an organization with these. But I think even more, it's really about sort of trying to corral consensus about the best way that an organization does things. And in a way, it, it means that you're really not so much trying to be uh, a leader, but a documenter. And, and to mm -hmm. sort, of, sort of say, here's the, the way that we solve problems at this organization. And in a sense, that's, that's often the most boring stuff. It's here's the stuff that we find ourselves designing over and over again. Here's the best way <laughs> we've found. Just do it this way so you can work on, on better problems. But if you're going to do that and approach it with that kind of level of humility and service, um, where you're really just sort of trying to capture the best work of others in a sense, uh, you really have to make it also be as digestible as possible so that you know, different production teams and an organization can quickly adopt it and make sense of it. I guess it's yeah. also important to think about the language that they use. So I'm just thinking about places like GDS or 18F where they, their language is kind of very specific to government, um, whereas other places like, I know, Lightning Design System, it's, it's very specific to their product. Um, and then you might get someone who's making a style guide just for their own site and it's kind of going to be very specific to them um and yeah thinking about the people who are going to be using that that pattern library as well um i don't know if you you're part of the there's a design system slack channel and uh, someone was sending a link around they wanted people to kind of user test their their design system and i thought wow that's kind of that's quite niche you know to do some user testing on a design system as opposed to user testing on the actual site uh, but actually it makes a lot of sense because the design system that they're building, it's for government and the types of people who will be using mm. it. Uh, it's a broad range of people. So it's important to make sure that people can use it well and it kind of prevents uh, it becoming one of like part of the graveyard of, uh, of pattern libraries <laughs> yeah. that you were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, you know, making sure that people can use it, that's just as important as, as, as building it because otherwise you're, if they don't use it, then, then it's dead in the water. I think it's a great point, Anna. The you know I think, the, especially the larger, 
the design system and the larger the audience for it, the more that you really have to be disciplined about thinking of it as a product and mm. and and bringing to bear all of the the good design and development practices and UX research practices that you would bring to any large system. And in fact, you know, a marketing effort to that too, which I think goes really to that language stuff that you're talking about is how do you, you know, share and communicate the utility of this in language that people will be excited about, but also just in terms of the benefits that it will offer people, you know, that this is, I think, particularly for very distributed groups like, you know, like government groups, which are, you know, huge, vast, where you have very little maybe leverage. It's like, there's not a case where you're sort of like, you must use this. You have to really Mm -hmm. make it so that people want to use it. You know, how do you make the best thing to do, the best practice also be the easiest or even the most fun thing to use, the most productive thing, the one that you're like, why wouldn't I use this? Um, And so again, it, it sort of comes down to this sort of sense of humility and service for this, where you're not being like, this is the coolest thing to use, which will have, you know, some appeal to people, or this is the newest thing. But really, it's sort of, this is the, this is the thing that will simply let your job, let you do your job faster, easier, and maybe with a, hopefully a sprinkling of fun too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's awesome. And we, we were working on a project where sort of the rallying cry sort of throughout was like, it had to be better than bootstrap. Cause again, it's just like <laughs> giant, giant organization. And it's like, it's, it is like a voluntary effort to sort of, in the case of this organization to, to opt into this thing. So it's like, you're competing against material design, uh, you're competing against bootstrap and foundation because that's what historically these these uh, engineers that didn't really have a, a whole lot of front end experience they would just you know sort of reach for that stuff because well it's there it's documented it's whatever so it's like how do you take in your own system like like what's the point like why don't we just all use bootstrap it's like well because a government or a large organization or enterprise has very specific problems they're trying to uh, address, very specific audiences they're building things for. Like how you think about data tables and data density and stuff like that will matter depending on who those data tables are going to be put in front of. So so I, I do think that, that that sort of spirit of, of like really addressing and like getting at the crux of what, what the organization is struggling with and like how could we create something that can help alleviate those struggles is, is great. And, and Josh, and like we've thankfully had the, had the, the opportunity to work with each other on these things, but like, c- could you talk about some of those, those sort of tactics and, and ways that we sort of like get at, like how do, as you're going down the design systems road, how do you, how do you right out of the, the gate, make sure that you're getting at, is solving the problems that are that are people are actually feeling yeah. versus just again just sort of like blindly like going oh we need a pattern library like let's throw it up oh we need code snippets let's throw that up like sure yeah i mean i think one of the core things for any project and you know the bigger the project the more important it is is to really try to get consensus about wait why are we building this and what you'll find mm. is particularly if you have a lot of people involved in it and when you're talking about a big design system and you know the like the the fortune 10 project that that you're talking about Brad when you're talking about you know a big organization 
in a full design system, you're talking about many different disciplines having to be on the same page. You've got a marketing department, you've got developers, you've got designers, you've got the uh, product owners of all the different products, you know, sort of all of these concerns and disciplines. And while they might agree on the list of, say, 10 or 15 goals that they would like to see this design system achieve, what you'll find when you dig into it is they may not agree on what's most important among those goals. And so I think mm. one of the things that is really important first is just to get a real sense of what do you want to accomplish with this product, really, you know, like any product, and then really get everyone into a room to sort of sit down and agree, you know what, this is a, a rough priority of the things that are most important so that we'll always have, be able to to, to focus on this. And, you know, usually around design systems, the big levers here are around um, budget and time and UX quality and consistency, right? So it's, it's development efficiency, in other words. It's how much this stuff will cost. And it's, you know, having a good quality assurance, in a sense, a good quality level to the products that will come out and then you know sort of a lot of different goals within i think one one thing though that you'll find is that there's some little sneaky goals that will sort of sneak that will kind of get in there that are often specific to a specific person or group's agenda that it will be my secret agenda is that i want to get everyone to use well you know you mentioned bootstrap let's like make this thing a bootstrap thing and sort of impose a technology or a way of thinking uh, and as i mentioned earlier i i've my experience has been that these systems are not great at imposing new technologies on large groups uh, Partly because it's like there may be legacy technologies already there, so actually adopting this in this you know example a bootstrap-driven system would actually prevent adoption of the system because it's like wow we'd have to rebuild the whole thing from scratch. Right, um, right. so it fails. It's like it's like cool. You could build the coolest thing in the world, React, you know, like whatever progressive web app, like whatever. It's like, but you're running some old like crusty java stack from like or, or whatever like i don't know what what's old and crusty but yeah it's like that that's i i, I do see that so often uh like and as we sort of float around to these different organizations it's like you're not creating so you're creating something that's good but it's like good in the abstract like it you know it, it doesn't it doesn't float as soon as you throw it throw it in there because nobody could use it or, or the, the, the places, the reasons why you're building the thing in the first place are, are because, you know, your buttons are all over the place. And it's like, how does building something in, in such a specific way, how is that going to help that, that crusty old site, like, level up? It just, it just doesn't. It's, it's very frustrating. Yeah. Well, and, and it, it's, I think that frameworks are often awesome for an individual project where you've chosen the framework specifically for a job to be done. Um, mm -hmm. But, of course, the problem with frameworks um, is exactly their advantage, which is that it forces you to do things a certain way. And um, while that can be good and can streamline projects, it also can be very constraining or may not wear well over time. I mean, you know, you, yeah. the, whole, the whole thing about um, all of these 
kind of frameworks or technologies is that, you know, they, they have a, a shelf life. And, you know, it's like now, like jQuery had a great run, but you can kind of see people starting to move into sort of kind of a new level of kind of elegance and structure of the way that these things are, or more, maybe a better better way to say is like a more holistic kind of full robust system than than sort of the the one-off pieces that jQuery suggested. Um, oh, is jQuery not cool anymore? I, it's yes. it seems oh. not. It seems Sorry. not. <laughs> Sorry, Annie. I you thought need we to... were moving to vanilla JS anyway. Take it well, but that's I I feel like yeah that that sort of specific library I think like really paved the way for a lot of the things that we're now seeing in in just JavaScript. Uh, <laughs> in the vanilla sense, I guess, which is great. But, but yeah, like the more like sort of monolithic or Josh's more kind word, which is holistic or sort of, <laughs> you know, you, you have to, you have, it's a dependency. Like you, you, you are depending in order to achieve a certain UI, you're, you're depending on, you know, specific technologies to power that. And, and Josh, in our own work, we've, we've sort of found back to that graveyard of pattern libraries is like that that tends to be one of those most frustrating things is it's like i want the new button styles right i or, or you know the the thing that doesn't feel like 2003 and but in order to do that i need to adopt this giant iceberg of of uh, of a tech tech stack and so it becomes a non-starter and so people get creative and sort of you know hack away at it and make their own versions and then like make the angular version of it then make the react version of it and then uh, and it just ends up a mess well and so, you know i i think that in a sense there's a certain it's certain it's somewhat inevitable i think for that to happen downstream to have different versions of a design system. So if you think of a of a design system like, you know, like material, uh, yeah. there's like all kinds of implementations of material, right? The material was right. not designed for anything originally other than for Android. Yeah. Uh, and so, and yet it's it exists in a whole lot of different um, ways and forms that have extended beyond it. Uh, so I think that there's always kind of a case where there's going to be a sense, a developer pattern library. You know, here's the the project code that we're going to use to actually make this happen. And then sort of upstream from that, there's a little bit of kind of a, a more implementation neutral pattern library and design system, which frankly, I think that HTML, CSS, and very light JavaScript are the best way to, to demonstrate that. You know, when, right. you, when you look at kind of the, the longevity of HTML, and sure, you know, it's developed, we're on, I understand, the fifth version of HTML, right? Uh, <laughs> As we will be forever. <laughs> but it's, a, but it's you know, it's very, it's been constructed now to be very backward compatible, and it's, yep. it's just so robust, it lasts. I mean, what other kind of uh, technology markup or language has had the kind of success that HTML has had. And I think it's, it's, you know, never say never, but it feels like it's got at least another 25 years in it. Right. Um, so the idea that sort of like, if we're going to make lasting design and interaction recommendations, my sense is let's make those in the rendered HTML and that that becomes the thing that evolves rather than having to be chucked out every time there's a new framework or underlying technology that comes around. Right. 
But but you're still going to need to implement that rendered HTML, right? So however you decide to do it, and hopefully those developer libraries get shared just as the... And when I'm, I'm sort of saying developers, it's really an implementer library that I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and that's why we sort of like landed on this and ended up writing a little bit about it. But it's like this this notion of like a tech agnostic design system means that you know, you're, you are, you're talking about this design philosophy, these design decisions sort of in the abstract. It's like, well, how does material design get implemented? It's like, that's beside the point right now. Like at that high level, we're talking about good design practices. We're talking about typography. We're talking about color. Like those are abstract things that don't rely on React or don't rely on Android code or whatever. We're just talking about that stuff in the abstract. And then those get implemented in various forms, right? In a React library, in an Angular library, in a WordPress theme, in a Drupal theme, in an Android project, iOS project, whatever. And then from there, specific apps, right? That that sort of third tier can feed from that technology-specific thing, uh, that that's tech-specific implementation of the design system. And so, like organizationally that becomes like a, a, a thing that needs a process that needs managed where it's like if a card get up, gets updated or if like, yeah, like if you have a card pattern and then suddenly you need a dismissible version of that card, right? Something that has like a little X button in the top right corner, you could sort of plug that into the canonical HTML CSS design system and then sort of feed those implementation specific versions of it and you could write it in the react way you could write it in the angular way you could write it in the jquery way or whatever and then that will ultimately make its way out into those apps yeah i mean i think when when we designed the the unity design system for exxon mobile i think that one of the things that at first seemed really daunting but i think in the end turned out to be a favor to us and and to the system was the fact that it was going out to thousands of developers who didn't have a single technology. It was really up to the to each developer on each project to choose their own technology, which is a messy technology stack. But what it meant yeah. was we couldn't actually go in and say, here, use this one. And then in the end, we were just sort of saying, here's what you should strive for to make as the rendered HTML. This is the standard. Uh, both in terms of interaction and solutions, but also this is the way that it, it should look and feel. Uh, and it, it, it's it, so it's it's not as it's not as convenient in a sense for developers just to be like great here's my you know here's my Angular markup, but it also sort of says here is like a fully rendered example. No matter what technology you use, you decide this is what to develop it to. Right, and like in in a style guide or something, you'd see that in like the form of tabs, right? So it's like you know if you're on the if you're on the accordion component and you're like, cool, I need to implement an accordion, you could see the raw HTML version of it. You could see the Angular code that you would copy and paste. You could see the React code or whatever. Like that, that's at least like hypothetically, like how you could set that up in a way that it's like, here's the sort of canonical UI pattern, right? UI component. Uh, here's the guidelines for when to reach for it, when not to reach for it, and all that other stuff. Uh, but then Say so like, cool. Pick your poison. You know, if you're if you're working in an, in a React environment, here's the way to do that. Are you still having to kind of make an effort to sell 
pattern libraries to clients? Is that something that they ask for? Is it something you have to kind of um, convince them that they need? Because certainly two years ago, it was um, a lot of the questions around design systems were, you know, how do you sell this to the client? Um, and I feel like now maybe we don't have to do that so much. You know, it's, a, it's such a great question. I think there has been an evolution. I would still say that there's a case where people don't necessarily realize that they need one, but will give one to them anyway. And here what I'm really thinking about is in the process of doing, say, a big website redesign, the deliverable ought to be the pages, sure. I mean, here's the website. That's that's ultimately what they're interested in. But if you can, if you're if you're building it with sort of like good current sort of um, you know pattern driven best practices, you should give them the pattern library and the the implicit guidelines that go with it. Uh, so, in other words, I, I would say that um, as what I am hearing a lot from clients, whether they're asking for a design system or not, is please help us get out of this um, horrible spiral of building a website, <laughs> sitting on it, unchanging for three or four years, and then until we just can't stand it anymore and we blow it up and we build a whole new one and the cycle repeats. Right. Um, and and many, many of your clients, like, do they already have one? Have you gone in and kind of... Um, yeah. Have, have they had one that, that hasn't worked and you've kind of gone in and made one that has? Yeah, not so much in a formal way. You know, so I think that for this type of client that I'm talking about that sort of has a website and, and where the website isn't necessarily their core business, you know, that this mm -hmm. could just be we've got a, we got a couple of developers on staff who kind of help us do the maintenance, but the it's, it's say it's a marketing site or it's, a, it's an e-commerce site, but the company isn't really... A, a commerce company, you know, it's like, we just make the products, you know, so it's <laughs> particularly for these companies where it's like the website is certainly the a main view of your company, but it's not their core competence. For those folks, often they don't have a proper design library. They have whatever they inherited from the previous vendor. Um, and I think what one of the things that I try to do with client engagements is not just to deliver the work, but to help to up the organization's game. You know, I think mm -hmm. that uh, all three of us are kind of educators and we like to share and help people be better at what they do. And I, I think that that's something that really animates the, the work and the projects that I do is to be the, how can we make your team even better at what they're doing. And so part of the thing is, um, I wouldn't say it's a hard sell of having to say, here's a pattern library or a design system, but just kind of saying, here's how you use one and here's how you can do it to make your own work better, to make changes faster, to know how to build new pages or even full applications without having to hire outside designers to help you to do it because we're going to try to build and anticipate those needs so that you can do that yourself. So a real sort of teach a man to fish situation, but also here's your tackle kit. Mm. I guess it's a lot easier now. There's so many other examples out there as well and so many case studies. Um, certainly there weren't a few years ago and now there's just so many you can just point to and say well you know it's it's worked out really well for these people it's um yeah yeah that's right that's right and you know again i, I think when it's it's something that is accepted really easily 
when you're sort of saying, we're just going to collect this set of solutions that you've already got in hand or that we're developing with you and just want to make it really easy to access those so that you can assemble them yourself in new ways. Yeah, for sure. I'd, I'd, let, I'd love to touch with you just because I know literally how much documentation you've written and we've like, you know, whenever we sort of show our work to to other clients and stuff. And like, as we're sort of going through, like, here's, you know, here's what a fully fleshed out sort of design system looks like from design principles to high level UX guidelines to low level components and guidelines around those low level components to toolkits to resources both internal and external and all that stuff like there's a lot of work a lot of thinking and stuff that all goes into that and of course it's also to packaged up and and sort of delivered to to people in the form of of a style guide i i'd love to hear sort of again back to this notion of like Oh yeah, we Anna and I talked a bit earlier about the sort of evolution of terms of like pattern library and style guide and and design system and stuff and and I think this this evolution from pat, a simple pattern library of as in like here's a list of the UI components that make up the, you know, the new website or whatever. Uh, into this sort of more holistic view of like here's how things get done here. I'd love to like hear from you just like sort of how how you think that stuff really aids these these efforts and get you know aids in in adoption and aids in in sort of like scaling good ux practices and visual practices and and good thinking across the in organization yeah wow well uh you know i mean i think every component has its own story in a sense, right? Of, of what its role is and in, in particular how it can be adapted or adopted to do new tasks. Um, mm. I think that there's, there, there are some types of components like a header navigation that, wow, has to do a lot of heavy lifting and be responsive in all these ways. And the menu has to change up and do this and shift around at all these different screen sizes, really complex machinery. Uh, and when you're trying to build sort of a, um, a generic reusable component that could do things for different applications, being really clear about saying what's okay and what's not is sort of 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 telling the story of what this thing can be used for and uh and particularly what it shouldn't be used for you know when to consider another component and here are sort of the the family of components that you might consider um as an alternative yeah, yeah that, like tabs tabs versus accordion it's like which one do you reach for in a, in a, a given situation right? yeah that's right what what is the superpower of this thing and what is it what's the super villain it's good at at fighting i don't know something something some superhero something something the superheroes are popular now right yeah i heard a rumor um but you know i, I think that you know anna's question early on about language uh, or observation that language is really important is is really a part of it and and i think that it is, you know, again, so much of this sort of presentation of design systems really has to be done with real humility and to say and to not let yourself as the creator or manager of the design system put too much of your own ego into it. Uh, and that means not writing too much, you know, not over documenting either. Uh, what's the right amount of, of documentation for the audience? You know, I, I think that it's fair to say that a lot of developers who are there to like grab up some code and figure out how something works don't want to read, you know, 
uh, a novella about that component. <laughs> you know? So what are some of the shortcuts that, you know, so I think that often when we're working on these, we have a design principle of just enough documentation. And it's just like, how can we express how this thing works, what some of the rules and guidelines are, what some of its kind of cool, non-obvious flexibilities are in terms of just, you know, by adding these couple of class names, you can get these effects. Um, you know, how can you do that not just with words, but also through quick images and do this, don't do that kinds of shorthand. Yeah. Um, so that there's a real, um, you know, there's, what's the, what's the Mark Twain line? You know, I, I didn't, right. I didn't have yeah. time to write you a, a, a short note, so I'm writing you a long one. Yeah. Uh, taking that time to be really discerning about what you share and how you do it and what you do with images and what you do with text, just so that you can make it, um, you know, again, feel like you're helping people rather than giving them a new chore to learn something. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear your take, because I, I always... I'm blown away because sort of some of the work that we do day to day and what you talk about on stage at conferences and you talk a lot about, you know, internet of things and machine learning and all these sort of new technologies. You're, you're always living in the future on stage <laughs> and then whatever, and then whatever we work together, it's like, you're sort of doing like a bunch of things that, that aren't about what you're talking to me. I just get up on stage and I, I regurgitate what I'm, what I'm living <laughs> through in my client work, which, which makes it easier. But like, um, but as as I think about this stuff more, and you know the the whole notion of of sort of having style guides, putting you know this like low level, this boring stuff as you as you wonderfully call it, like this stuff aside, and creating like a home base, a hub for for all this thinking. As these new technologies emerge, as like voice UIs become a thing, as more like Internet of Things things start happening more more and more, like how do you how do you see today's efforts at at design systems and like us you know putting in place all these things all these different organizations putting this stuff in place how do you see that stuff evolving as as these new technologies become more and more popular and, and adopted yeah it's a great question i mean I, I think one thing that i'll mention you know is that you're right that i do sort of have a focus on designing for what's next uh, and how do we prepare organizations and products for what appear to be emerging technologies that that are likely to be really important in the next year or two? Uh, mm -hmm. And I do think that a really important thing about design systems and pattern libraries is being kind to your future self. It's you know it's <laughs> creating this documentation, that sort of stuff. That's so over the next project, my colleague or me, I'll have all this stuff at hand. Uh, and so I think part of that is also sort of trying to be. Uh, future friendly, which Brad, that's a, a term that you came up with several years ago, uh, that I think is great, which is to think about not just um, what's the next project, but how might this be used? And I think that it, it takes less and less imagination now to see that things like speech and um, uh, in particular, but also, you know, some artificial intelligence aspects are going to be coming into these things, you know, that, that our interactions are going to go well beyond uh, keyboard and mouse, uh, as we've already seen with touchscreens, although we still, for some reason, still very focused on the keyboard and mouse experience as designers, um, which I don't think is a great thing. But I think that a lot of this is... Um, 
I'm, I'm pleased to see more and more focus on accessibility um, for designers as a default. That sort of like yeah. learning that, oh, if I create an accessible website, it still can be visually creative. It doesn't have to be boring, which I think is an association yeah. of this stuff, or it doesn't have to be limiting. And I think that one of the cool things about embracing accessibility is that it tends to also embrace future and emerging technologies. I mean, you know, in a way, these speech interfaces, hello, if we'd been invited and been designing for the visually impaired for the last several years, you'd already have your speech interface, you know, yeah. that it's, it's like yeah. good markup, good accessible markup designs for the future. And so, you know, I think that in, in a sense, just having good standards sets you up for these emerging web technologies, because again, mm. they all just come from HTML, this incredibly durable, amazing markup. But I, right. I think also that it's also the case that we're going to have to start developing some new UX practices for how to anticipate speech, right? That it's, it's, a very, it's, a, it's a very low resolution interface. How do we create some new speech patterns that prompt and offer suggestions for uh, what it is that you can do uh, in ways that you would just read a menu uh, quickly off of a screen? What are the emerging patterns of sort of suggestion and anticipation that we need to have there? Those are essentially new patterns that we haven't had to deal with um, on the keyboard and mouse web, um, but right. that we will have to develop for others. But I think that those will sit alongside um, other solutions. Um, yeah. I, I guess I'll say, you know, what we're seeing right now, I think that some people um, who are very big enthusiasts of bots and chatbots will suggest, oh, this is the end of the web as we know it, or the end of apps as we know it. <laughs> and I think really what we're seeing instead of one thing replacing another is just an explosion of new interfaces. And what that means is that we'll have an explosion of design best practices for each of these new channels. And what that means is that we have to get a lot better at documenting all of them. And that's what pattern libraries and design systems are great at, is how do we share what your colleague has discovered to be the best Thing, the best way to solve a problem so that you can just grab that up and solve your own new problem. Yeah, yeah. I think that that makes a, a ton of sense and I think also sort of underscores the evolution of thinking about these things as like a, just a component library. It's like here's some UI components to this sort of overarching style guide that contains all the all the thinking that goes into doing design at, at an organization. I could totally see a, a company style guide. It's like, living right alongside the the components in the guidelines section you have voice ui you have yeah ai considerations you have like all this other stuff it's all it's all you know in the same family it's not necessarily something entirely different it's still how design is manifested at an organization so so i feel like these these style guys do f serve as this sort of like future-friendly foundation that you will grow with and evolve with as as technology continues to evolve so that it's not just about components or it's not just about like specific technologies it's like hey this this we're setting this thing up as like the hub from now on <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're, well, yeah you're just... I, I mean you know it's interesting right i think that people began associating 
the pattern library as the system and, and then realize, oh wait, we can add more if we associate, if we pull in the, what the brand people have done with the brand yeah. guide and bring in all of their things around kind of color and the notion of the brand. Oh, and over here, we've got all the copywriters who've put together their voice and tone guidelines. And you, know, yeah. you get to sort of the visual um, pieces of the design system. And so it's adding what you see is, you know, I mean, sort of the, the typical style guide layout with that left column of aspects of the design system that you can click on to learn more about, that left column is growing. And it's going to continue mm -hmm. to grow because design is becoming more complex. And the disciplines that go into design is becoming more complex. And as we add more and more interaction channels, more kinds of interactions, you know, I think that it's just all going to have to be folded into and adopted into this overall design system. And it doesn't mean that everybody has to become an expert in each one of those, you know, left column menu options. Um, but it does mean that the whole the whole story uh, is becoming a bit longer and more convoluted, and it, it helps if we if all the disciplines share their knowledge with the rest of us. Yeah, it sort of helps create this. I think like bird's eye perspective that like even if you're not diving into those links, it's like there there's a an awareness I guess of it. You know that it's like. And that, that might open up opportunities where it's like, oh, like what, what, what about this thing that, you know, it, that's adjacent to what I'm doing or whatever. It, it's just, it, it provides that, that aerial view, I guess that, that could, it could open up a lot of opportunities and cross pollination and all that good stuff. But, uh, ah, uh, that's, that's well said. Great. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is my goal. That is my goal. Well, the, I, I mean, I think that, that broadly, I think that what is emerging, uh, with all this design system work is just how many disciplines and kinds of brains and kinds of creativity go into creating large and complex design solutions. Um, and the way that I think of design system work writ large is that it is a container of institutional knowledge. It is a collection of solved problems. Uh, and, and the sort of an example of the best of what a company does when it comes to design. And yeah. it, the more that you can use that um, to build a, a real platform for that kind of communication. And I know I, I keep saying this word humility, but I just think it's so important for the people who are designing these systems not to impose too much of themselves into it, but to really work their hardest to make it a reflection of the design values and brand values and development workflows of the organization, uh, because that is the way that you're going to get people to be really enthusiastic about it and to adopt it. So it was really great to have you on the show, uh, Josh, and and thanks so much for sharing all of your knowledge and uh, Brad as well, because I know you've worked together. It's been a real treat to to be here. I did I mention that I I'm just completely such big fans of you two. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. Mm, love this. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, seriously, thank you, thanks so much for for being on here. And again, like I I'll say, I I think this sort of. <sighs> especially like the organizational stuff, just like a lot of like the sort of like non-tech parts of, of a design system are, are, are so incredibly important. And, and again, I've, I've always just been 
in awe at how you're able to sort of, you know, wrangle a bunch of disparate groups and or, or sort of, you know, diffuse a bunch of tense people or <laughs> arguing people go, yeah, you know, and it, you'd have to see it in order to, to get at it. It's like people just at each other's throats around the meeting room. They're like, no, oh, this is how it needs to be done. Uh, this is how it needs to be done. And Josh is just like, yeah, so so I, th- I think the spirit of what you're all going for is this. And, and you know, you're all right. And, and if we if we approach it this way, then they're all like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'm like, wow, that, what a skill. That's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> well, that sounds, that sounds pretty good. I'd like to meet yeah, that guy. It, it is incredible. But, it, again, it, I, I do think it speaks to, like, the, the spirit of design systems, like you're saying. It's just, like, you know, a bunch of different opinions, a bunch of different sort of things it's like how do we extract like the 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 spirit of of you know how design and development gets done uh so yeah so uh great so thank you so much for for being on the on the show and thank you so much for all of your freaking contributions to the industry i'll say that i'm also really excited that uh you know now that you have a a new shiny website at bigmedium.com. You've been writing a lot more and, and stuff like that. So, uh, including about some of the stuff projects that we've had a chance to work on, but, but I love, uh, love reading your site and everything that you're sharing. So keep it up. Well, thanks so much. I'm glad you're reading and thanks so much for um, all that you two do. (laughs) I'm, I'm glad to know that Brad can read. (laughs) finally it took me a while but anyways all right cool well uh thanks so much and thanks everybody uh for listening and until next time see you later